Hi, this is Michelle Sherman, president of Mishorex Pharmacist Consulting Services and the host of the Conscious Pharmacist podcast. As far back as I can remember growing up in South Africa, one thing was always obvious to me. It was something that emanated from my soul, if you will. It was the knowing that all human beings are created equal, that we are all the same. The Conscious Pharmacist podcast is proud to be a podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network and is a show for pharmacist healthcare providers who have answered the call to practicing on purpose. Being conscious brings to light disparities and injustices in our society and healthcare system. Our show strives to bring to the forefront these issues we face today in a changing healthcare landscape and how we can change lives one patient at a time. As pharmacists, we do what matters, how we practice what matters, and how we take care of patients matters. Be conscious, speak out, every voice matters. Be the change you wish to see in the world. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You're listening to the CRX Podcast. The CRX Podcast provides an added benefit for healthcare professionals and readers of the CRX Magazine, a leader in reliable information and news about medical cannabis. The CRX Podcast will provide the latest discussions about cannabinoid products as part of a patient's treatment plans and deliver the latest education about medical cannabis for pharmacists, physicians, and innovative healthcare providers. Hello, welcome to the CRX Podcast. This is Joseph Friedman, pharmacist with CRX Magazine. And what we try to do is uh, do podcasts based on past and future articles in the magazine. Today, I'm very excited to have two very special guests uh, today, and we're going to be discussing uh, a topic that's near and dear to everyone, has affected everyone on this planet, uh, and that has to do with COVID. So this is cannabis and COVID. And so I've got two experts with me today, um, and I'm going to let them introduce uh, themselves because they can do a much better job than I can. So Jason, why don't you go ahead? Sure. Thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, great to be here. Um, so Jason Nelson, Senior Vice President of Horticulture with Cresco Labs. Uh, I've been in regulated cannabis uh, for over nine years, previously in Denver and, and now working with uh, Cresco Labs as the multi-state operator. Um, I'm fortunate to have moved my position into um, a horticultural focus with a lens certainly towards cannabis research, um, educational institution empowerment. Um, and yeah, it's been a, a great experience to, to be able to try to understand where we are with cannabis research and then uh, hopefully move into uh, supporting next steps. But uh, again, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And and, then Marion, go ahead. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me here as well. Um, My name is Dr. Marion McNabb, and I'm the president of Cannabis Center of Excellence. We're a 501c3 nonprofit cannabis research, education, and social justice organization based out of Massachusetts. Um, I've been in the industry for five years, um, conducting now six uh, research studies related to cannabis on the medical cannabis side and the adult use side. And most recently, I'm in the process of completing a COVID-19 and cannabis research study uh, that was conducted over the last year with uh, UMass Dartmouth um, and in collaboration with partners such as Costco Labs. So thank you so much for having me here today. Great. Well, I think the idea of research on how cannabis can help with uh, COVID uh, is, is definitely uh, near and dear to everyone's heart. So let's just go ahead and get started. I think, you know, you know, we're going to ask a number of questions and then we'll go back and forth. 
But uh, you know, from the start of the pandemic, rumors began swirling about the potential role of cannabis in the treatment or prevention of COVID-19. Um, Jason, can you talk about some of the misinformation and the credible information uh, that has since circulated? Sure. Um, you know, I can certainly do my best. And I, I know that we constantly preface this circumstance about uh, just the overall limitations in effective cannabis research. I know, you know, Marin certainly laments how difficult it can be to actually, uh, you know, conduct or even evaluate reasonable studies. But, you know, certainly the misinformation that's the common in the space, and, and, you know, we're guilty of being charged of it too, is, you know, considering cannabis as an end-all be-all curative that, you know, of course it can help COVID. Why are we not, uh, you know, prescribing it constantly for COVID-19 symptoms? Um, and so ultimately, you know, that, that general misnomer about cannabis really does need the research to, to prove or, or certainly indicate what may be some true therapeutic beneficial outcomes from cannabis consumption. Um, you know, on the credible information side, there, there certainly has been um, some publications recently on the increase of cannabis use as a response to isolation in, in the pandemic. You know, some of the more data-driven studies that don't actually have to have a research institution physically touch uh, a, a cannabis product. Um, and so it has been both sides of things. And I think it basically, in my mind, indicates the potential of, of how future research needs to be conducted. And speaking of uh, future research, Marian, uh, you, you had mentioned that you're doing some of this research. I think there has been past research. I'm not sure how uh, you know, uh, credible or quality it, it is, but why don't you go ahead and touch on that? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think there is a lot of research studies going on out there. Um, the study that I've conducted is a population level a self-report uh, research study that asked cannabis consumers and patients the impact of COVID-19 on their use and their health um, and their choices and access related to cannabis. Um, so my study, in addition to other population-level researchers such as Denise Vito at University of Miami, present data from that perspective and echoing what Jason just said, we did find an increase in 50% of our sample reporting, um, an increase in cannabis use uh, during the pandemic, and that primarily driven by an increase in anxiety, life changes, depression, um, et cetera. Um, but we do see that there are, and that's credible, in, in my opinion, we're approved by a, a university institutional review board, and this is um, straight from the horse's mouth. Um, but again, there is that self-report bias. There are other research uh, trials going on in the world. There's a lot of in vitro studies looking at uh, CBD and THC as possible prevention and treatment. Um, you know, alternatives. Um, there's clinical studies happening in Israel. Um, but as we see in general in cannabis research, um, you know, there's, there's a polar side to the fence. Uh, NIDA has also issued a grant to study the negative impacts of cannabis um, smoking and COVID relations. So um, as usual, there's um, a lot of contentious level in the research and in the literature, and it's always important to check out who funds the research um, and how large those trials are and, and whether or not they're registered ongoing. Well, so happy to think more into it. Well, that's that's a great point. And and Jason, I know you were involved with a, with putting together a white paper on cannabis and COVID. And so, so maybe for our audience, you know, how can cannabis prevent COVID or at least showing signs that it's it it it, it should be studied? Well, I, I think you know from a, a 
a correlative type perspective or essentially an anecdotal perspective, that, that's the real trick, right? Is, um, you know, thankfully there was some research done on the previous SARS outbreak. Um, again, not direct human clinical trials, certainly not with uh, a robust amount of results that, that offer comparisons across different populations or consumption methods. I mean, the stuff that would really be truly impactful to understand is, is still just lacking. But, you know, when you take a look at the body of research um, and then align that with uh, cannabis constituents, um, thankfully there has been quite a bit of research on terpenes, obviously a common constituent of many cannabis products uh, because those are rest less regulated certainly than Delta 9 THC. And, and you do, you'll find publications that show antiviral properties, antiviral replication properties of specific terpenes and terpenoids. Um, and, and then likewise, uh, as Dr. McNabb mentioned, um, you know, certainly CBD uh, as a cannabinoid being less scrutinized has had a little more traction and, and, and the ability to, to serve as a clinical research subject. And so, you know, I think the the amalgam of all the information that we were able to track down for that white paper just really indicates there should be there could be some really um, uh, fundamental um, principles of cannabinoid interaction with the endocannabinoid system that yes, by all rights and by all assumptions should have efficacy against uh, the COVID nineteen variant of the virus. Right. Well, there's been one study, and uh, you know, I've got this study in front of me. You know, but the bottom line is, is that, you know, CBD has a potential not only to act as an antiviral agent uh, at the early stages of infection, but also protect the host against overactive immune system at later stages. And, and so, you know, basically this article went through the idea that CBD is really a key component. So, uh, Marion, what, what, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I read that paper too, and I find it to be very interesting um, um, and compelling. I think there, there are some other studies out there that are also looking at the impact of THC, um, and there's some clinical trials out there that are looking at um, CBD, you're right, as an antiviral, but also to um, have an impact uh, on acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is at the later stages of COVID-19. So both from a uh, prevention of COVID actually infecting uh, the human host, there's some studies looking at that, again, in animal models or in in vitro 3D animal models. and then again, also at that, at that treatment level. But I think what's interesting and important is that we shouldn't really focus on individual isolated cannabinoids, but really try and understand the role of uh, different cannabinoids in combination and uh, what that might do. Because uh, different cannabinoids, you know, we're finding have, have different levels of impact and there's a biphasic um, sort of uh, approach to cannabis medicine. So we really need to be careful about uh, which cannabinoids, uh, the combination of them, um, and if they're actually um, having a hyper, you know, uh, uh, reduced uh, immune response and, and therefore impacting negatively um, uh, our immune system and, and somebody who's infected with COVID. So I think, you know, what we're going to see is more and more human trials coming out of other uh, countries, Israel and Canada. Um, I I did note some clinical trials that were registered in in the U.S. as well uh, with different cannabinoids. I think to your point, Jason, um, CBD has a lot more potential because, uh, you know, at least on the hemp-based side, it's regulated quite differently. um, So therefore, it could be studied differently. Um, one thing I also want to point out is the long haul uh, COVID symptoms now that people have been infected, you know, where, where are we looking at the research of those long term impacts as well? And I think um, not only during prevention and, and acute treatment, but what are we doing to impact those, those ongoing symptoms? 
Yeah, well, that's that's interesting, and you know, I, I think the idea you know of, of of our listeners here is a lot of them have probably heard of cytokine storms, but you know, what is behind you know cannabis and possible prevention of the cytokine storms, Jason, that you can explain and then make it more uh, make it make more sense. Sure, and I'll I'll take uh, you know the non medical science uh, understanding, and I know Dr. McNabb can certainly supplement a little bit. But you know the cytokine storm essentially from from my perspective is just an inflammatory response within your respiratory system um, as a response to the the viral infection and replication. And so um, you know with respect to that cytokine storm, then um, it really would be. Uh, the discovery process to really understand what the interaction of cannabinoids in the presence um, of that circumstance, whether it can, it can reduce inflammation, um, if it could outright halt that type of response um, and have impact on it. And to, to Dr. McNabb's point, um, you know, which particular cannabinoids might have the most efficacy um, alongside potential terpenoids or other compounds that, that are being consumed on a regular basis in a whole plant cannabis product. Um, but again, to Dr. McNabb's point, <clears throat> really trying to, to wrap our heads around, you know, what's going on um, on a bi in a biological standpoint with uh, not only specific cannabinoids, but obviously the entourage effect. Um, that, that's a very difficult prospect. You certainly have a large uh, discipline of medical professionals who aren't comfortable or as comfortable studying a an entourage, a holistic type effect compared to a single constituent with a single um, experimental outcome and publishing those results. Um, and so, you know, you're right. Absolutely, we certainly understand that the cytokine storm is one of the most deleterious outcomes of the viral infection, and that with the potential of cannabis to, you know, either preempt that infection by occupying those protein receptors, um, or ultimately just mitigate the impacts and reduce the severity of that cytokine storm, I, I certainly see the potential for effective research there. So, so let me just kind of interject. So real world situation, someone's admitted to the hospital, they're having problems breathing, they go downhill very quickly and they're about to be put on a respirator. I mean, would the doctor ever consider cannabinoids for the, this, this, this on, oncoming cytokine storm? I, you know, I would say right now, no, uh, the doctor would not prescribe because that's not been approved or legally available um, through, you know, an FDA approved context, um, but they are studying the potential for that. And um, to build upon what Jason was saying, you know, um, we have an endocannabinoid system that plays a key role in our immune system and regulating that immune system in several pathways that mediate the release of cytokines and the cytokine storm. And so, um, different ca cannabinoid receptors within our endocannabinoid system uh, play a role in not only COVID-19 infection, but other immune-related disorders and interestingly in HIV and AIDS, uh, late stage of HIV, uh, you know, a, a disease and illness that I used to study quite significantly. Um, and, you know, the uh, different neurological man manifestations and pathways um, that these phytocannabinoids um, interact with, I think, are very important to, to understand the ways that it reduces the cytokine storm at the time of acute distress. So it's, you know, you're admitted to a hospital, you can't breathe. And when they're diagnosing you with ARDS at this point, that's when they're saying that these cannabinoids can interfere interfere in those neural pathways and impact your immune system and the cytokine response to reduce it to a level that would not cause the mortality. Um, so I think right now, this is the treatment is definitely being studied in Israel um, as in different phased clinical trials, um, you know, and like we said, in different uh, cannabinoid 
uh, combinations or, or as individual isolates. Um, so I think, you know, right along all these studies, I think we really need to be, um, you know, looking at, at this impact at what would be the dose response, uh, what is safety profile, uh, right now, what are the current, what's the current safety profile of the treatments that are out there at that late stage at ARDS and what is the, uh, safety profile of cannabis, which has never necessarily had a, uh, a lethal death associated with it, but may obviously have impacts on the way that different, you know, immune responses play out. We need to be very, very careful of that. So, um, you know, I think right now the current recommendation is, is, um, you know, looking at, there's definitely evidence looking at other symptoms and, and the impact of cannabis on those symptoms such as depression or PTSD and other long haul symptoms. And, you know, we really need to gather the research that's out there right now, looking at um, the impact in these in vitro studies of cannabis on acute respiratory distress syndrome and kind of move it towards um, where we can, we can do this as emergency clinical trials in the U.S. And, and, you know, what's interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, uh, CRX had an article or, uh, you know, um, the editor actually put in a forward to an article on how, at the beginning, cannabis dispensaries were not considered essential, but people were lining up just to, you know, get, and, and they didn't want people lining up, you know, around the block, you know, without masks on. And so they made them essential, but they were all getting in line for a lot of the long haul symptoms or the symptoms that, you know, have come about because of the, the the pandemic and people feeling anxiety and depression and so forth. And another thing that you said, Miriam, that I think is very important is, you know, we don't understand really what the dose is. So there's a lot of places you can walk into a Walmart or a CVS and pick up CBD, a CBD tincture. That's not necessarily going to give you the dose that you need in order to address um, uh, ADRES or cytokine storms or, or things like that. So with yeah, that, absolutely. yeah, yeah. So, so on the flip side, can you, um, uh, Jason, can you discuss the increased risk cannabis smokers may have on lung damage and complications from COVID-19? Is, is there a safer route of administration that would be more beneficial? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, anybody approaching this from a clinical perspective, um, you know, is kind of stuck with this paradox that, yes, 100% there are, would be considered more pharmacologically oriented consumption methods. Um, certainly something like, a, you know, a, a inhaler, a vaporized mist, even electronic cigarette, um, you could certainly probably make the case that that's a more consistent dosing event. Um, a lot of these new electronic cigarettes do actually give you a consistent dose versus patient A might inhale on something for two seconds and patient B might inhale on something for five seconds. Um, so there are certainly various uh, mechanisms of um, dosing that can be extremely consistent, could be studied alongside a clinical placebo, i.e. a similar type mechanism, but with uh, absent the cannabinoids of focus. And um, you know, I think that the thing that we struggle with is certainly understanding that raw flour, which is most commonly consumed as a smoking product, is the most ubiquitously, uh, most equitably available product across the entire country. That being said, uh, a good portion of that country still accesses it through an illicit market, which is not a circumstance that any of us are in favor of. Um, but when it comes to really understanding how we can uh, leverage the potential benefit from cannabis, yes, one understand that companies like Cresco Labs have multiple types of products that would fit very well into a clinical tr uh, trial structure with the placebo alongside of it. And that too, we do really need researchers and clinicians to start wrapping their heads around some comfortability with studying 
seeing whole cannabis flower consumption as an event, and then alter, alternative methods for whole flower consumption as well, something as a, a vaporizer versus rolling up a pre-roll or a joint and actually combusting it. So it, it, it's a unique circumstance to try to understand, here's how cannabis is available, but if we actually had some more research leeway, yes, any of these clinical style products uh, could easily be manifested. Great. Well, you know, Marion, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think from uh, COVID and its increased uh, risk with cannabis consumers we see and patients, I think we definitely see that, you know, clinical guidance will steer patients away really from an inhalation, especially if you're, you know, have damaged lungs. Um, that we do see in uh, the research study that I led, 14% uh, of our sample actually switched methods uh, due to COVID. And it's echoed actually in Dr. Vito's study at the University of Miami who reported 16% uh, of her sample also changed uh, methods of ingestion of cannabis since COVID started. So people are mindful of this, people are switching. Um, and I would say, you know, uh, switching to things more that are like edibles um, or tinctures. Um, you know, I think with the recent unfortunate vape crisis as well, you know, consumers and patients are, are wary and should be purchasing these products from regulated sources to reiterate uh, Jason's point. Um, but I, you know, I would say, uh, you know, cannabis patients in both uh, my study as well as Dr. Vito's study are significantly uh, reporting that they're increasing their cannabis use because of COVID. So while they maybe shouldn't be smoking flour because of decreased use, if you are a medical patient and you are taking all those safe precautions that we've all been warned about, the mass stay-at-home orders, and you have underlying health conditions that you have been benefiting from medical cannabis from, you know, what, where's the discussion around, well, if you're taking those safe measures and precautions and not exposing yourself, you know, are you still putting yourself at that same level of risk? And vis-a-vis and, and -vis, uh, what you might be, uh, your health may be worsening because you are reducing your use of, of medical cannabis use. And, and we see that in the data in my study where, um, you know, some have, uh, you know, uh, uh, actually because they have not been able to access medical cannabis, their health has worsened. Um, but, you know, another, you know, kind of flip side uh, of all of this is one of the data points that we do see is that with the increase in cannabis use, uh, many in our study are reporting that they're using that to substitute more lethal substances and harmful substances such as alcohol and tobacco use as well as um, unwanted prescription or over-the-counter medications. So in our sample, 54% uh, of people are struggling to use medical cannabis as a replacement for unwanted prescription or over-the-counter medications for their primary health conditions. So it's complicated, I guess, um, to complicate things more. Um, you know, there is an increased risk of cannabis smokers of COVID, but uh, where's the line where we understand what are, what are these patients currently facing and um, and what is their risk profiles, I guess, um, and what we should be advising. Maybe shouldn't be one size fits all for each patient back to that dosing regimen. You know, um, we know that patients with severe health conditions or cancer consuming FECO, for example, full extract cannabis oil, where others might need, you know, five to 10 milligrams of a, a gummy just for a light uh, sleep disorder. So um, one size fits all doesn't really work in cannabis medicine. So continue to research and educate and implement is the best approach. Right, right, right. And, you know, and, and, and cannabis has also been implicated in preliminary studies in increasing the risk for contracting COVID. You know, some of the information has come directly from prominent oppositionists, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> but, um, you know, what is the credibility of this type of information coming from people opposed to cannabis? And in addition, you know, in, in, in uh, you know, the CRX um, uh, magazine, uh, you know, one of the quotes, you know, from an article on this 
you know, from one of the researchers said vaporization of concentrated cannabis, as in vape pens, they may be even worse than smoking for lung health. And then vaping of cannabis or tobacco, they're comparing it to tobacco, which is especially popular with younger Americans, is thought to increase the risk of both contracting COVID and developing more severe complications. So, you know, it, it's on, we're, we're, get, we're getting, you know, both. Uh, answers here on, on whether it's beneficial or whether it's it's a real negative. So, so Jason, what do you think? Yeah, and then Dr. McNabb might be able to kind of clarify my context on this. But as I read through those studies, the thing that strikes me is the the general um, association between cannabis and certainly other um, mind altering drugs is a lot of times the way that they phrase um, their their research focus. And as I'm reading through these, um, you know, there certainly are areas of legitimate concern that speak to more, I believe, an in individual patients or a population demographics lifestyle choices. You know, with with how they may lead their lives otherwise, with other uh, treatments they may be seeking, other substances they may be abusing. And so, anytime I paint that in that context, yes, those are legitimate risks. And the upside of understanding those risks is then you can obviously begin to tailor research initiatives that um, you know preempt those risks um, with certain warnings about use. Um, and I think the thing I see missing from all of those studies would be any kind of biomedical research of the impact of cannabinoids on the respiratory system once they're inhaled or ingested otherwise. You know, it, so it's it's one thing to say that yes, there are circumstances in which cannabis use can implicate uh, COVID infections at a higher rate, but then there there's no supplementary um, information at this time that says, well, actually, this cannabinoid profile, this terpene profile is so effective at modulating and reducing the impacts from either COVID infection or symptoms upon infection that it may well still be a delta improvement to introduce cannabis treatment into a COVID circumstance. And so I, my, my big picture way of thinking about that is, is certainly um, understand the legitimacy of those concerns. And at the same time, that lets us indicate what reasonable research and Precautions need to be advised upon when someone is considering cannabis as a therapeutic. Right, and, yeah. and, and, and right along those lines, Miriam, um, you know, if, are there any other risks associated with using cannabis with respect to COVID that you want to, you know, tell the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely risks, and I, I think the jury's still out. Uh, we need to, you know, like I said, I don't think it's ready for prime time clinical guidance at this stage at all for prevention and treatment. A lot of those studies, you know, to Jason's point, have all been in vitro. We need more human uh, studies, and we also need more biomedical research that's really digging in deep to looking at those cannabinoid levels and, and our immune response, et cetera. Um, I think, you know, one of the traditional ways that people consume cannabis is in a social environment. I mean, obviously, We've all been limited in the last year and some change around that. And I think consumers are maybe generally aware, but um, that, you know, in itself and vaping, you know, could also uh, follow that same tradition of people sharing um, that can increase, obviously, risk of transmission. Um, like I said before, you know, cannabis having that uh, sort of reduced immune response or, and also lower, lower the immune function of, or lung function. So having your lungs um, not be as par, as up to par as usual, um, can put you at a disadvantage. Um, you know, again, I think uh, it's always really important to um, understand where, where these funding sources are and where this data is coming from and continue to advocate for um, more open and transparent funding resources available for clinicians and providers in the United States um, to conduct these studies and trials. Um, so right now, you know, a lot of the funding is, is abroad um, and or uh, driven by uh, industry, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
financial gain. So um, having broad, you know, uh, publicly available research grants that, you know, universities and other can, others can access will really help us um, understand what these risks are um, and what the benefits are. Right. And, and you know what, something that, you know, is very timely is variants, variants of COVID that are now coming out that are, 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 are keeping this pandemic uh, going very strong. And, and, you know, in particular, the Delta variant, and there could be other variants down the road. So, you know, should we be paying any additional attention to now, you know, a Delta variant versus the variants that we've been, you know, studying and working with in the past? Uh, Jason, do you have any comments about that? You know, I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I think there's certainly precedent for uh, as these viruses proliferate through a population that the opportunity for uh, variants is, is real. And I think the two things that strike me, um, you know, one, we need the research that indicates um, cannabinoid and uh, constituent efficacy as a mode of action for infection and viral replication that may well um, supersede the ability of a virus to uh, manifest a change within its um, mode of action, or at least a, a subtle change to the point that uh, would certainly, uh, or would ultimately then reduce potential efficacy from cannabinoid therapies. And so that, I think that research is very timely and that, um, and the other component that I'll, I'll certainly mention with that, um, one, you know, that uh, the, the vaccine rollout, the, the ability of, uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies to generate uh, an mRNA vaccine um, with very detailed and focused specificity towards this COVID-19 variation. Um, one, uh, you would certainly hate to, to have vaccine, vaccine hesitancy, vaccine intransigency from a large subset of the population implicate the current vaccine, rendering it less effective, um, and then putting us back to square one. And so I think, you know, for the, the groups and populations that are hesitant to take a vaccine, we know how important it is for us to advocate to them um, to please take it. But um, if for that population, if for some reason uh, a type of cannabinoid therapy, that it's a, it's a natural plant medicine, it's been around for millennia, that if that particular mechanism of treatment was effective and could actually help bridge the gap towards a more universally accepted form of controlling the virus, then I, I think that potential needs to be elucidated quickly, um, especially in light of, as you said, the, the Delta variant now seems to be uh, you know, taking hold as the, the, the probable uh, strain that's, that's in most uh, areas now. Marion, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, no, Jason, you, you explained that very eloquently. Um, I think the variants we're finding, obviously, is um, the you know highest prevalence of those new, newly infected. Um, so advocating for vaccination, um, as Jason alluded to, is, is very important. I'd be interested to understand now the role of vaccination and, and of vaccination and cannabis and different cannabinoids and the impact that that may potentially have, um, because I don't think we've seen much um, or, or talked really much about that. Um, so I'd like, you know, that would be really interesting to see. Um, again, I think also um, because it's stronger um, and has a potentially more severe outcomes, there is a role, uh, you know, again, in that acute uh, ARDS. So continuing to research that, continuing to understand that and moving from animal models and looking at this and human treatment models. Um, also really understanding, you know, in that Delta variant and those that are infected with that strain, you know, does that change the, the long-term COVID, you know, long haul symptoms 
um, and uh, different conditions that folks are facing. Um, I think I'm going to keep keep tabs on uh, Canada and Israel and other clinical guidelines and and understanding that comes out, um, you know, and as the vaccine rolls out and as you know, we're understanding the different populations that are now becoming infected and what those infections look like and the severity. I think we'll have you know, this will be an ongoing and continuing dialogue. Yeah. And uh, so so if each of you were standing in front of an audience of healthcare providers, which you're doing right now, just not live, you know, what would be, you know, your um, recommendations regarding, you know, what would you say regarding cannabis use and, and, and coronavirus? Jason. I'm sure, you know, I think to, to Dr. McNad's comments that, you know, we understand that there is consequential and pivotal research initiatives, experimentation underway in, in our neighboring countries, Canada, Israel predominantly, and that ultimately for them as healthcare providers to be ready to leverage the findings of those research initiatives, and albeit in a way that, you know, we certainly understand as um, researchers within the United States that um, there's just such a wealth of knowledge and discovery that's poised uh, even within the specific iteration of uh, cannabinoid therapy against a, a coronavirus that, um, have an open mind. I would certainly advocate to anyone who's, um, still on the fence or even uh, somewhat trepidatious about exploring the subject matters. Like, listen, we're just asking for research allowances, um, you know, really from a, a federal perspective um, for uh, healthcare providers, certainly the institutions that they perhaps work for. Um, you have world-class medical research institutions uh, within the United States that could easily leverage resources if the federal um, restrictions and, and illegality associated with a Schedule One substance um, was, was refactored, you know, or certainly addressed. So that would be my recommendation. It's to, to understand what the information is going to be coming out uh, here in the next six to 12 months, hopefully uh, leverage that in the near term. But we all need to be advocating for, listen, if, if this is a tool in the toolbox, we need to have the clinical trials and human subjects to figure that out. And as soon as humanly possible. That's, that's great. And uh, yeah, yeah. Kudos to the idea of, of getting cannabis off the of schedule one, getting it completely scheduled, I think, is the way to go. Marion, what do you? What would you say to these healthcare providers? Yeah, um, I would say don't feel bad about not knowing so much about medical cannabis, <laughs> um, and to don't be shy to continue to look at it. That would be the first thing that I would say. Um, unfortunately, a lot of our healthcare providers and our uh, our education system for healthcare providers, physicians, pharmacists, et cetera, lacks the endocannabinoid system, the basics around mental medical cannabis. So we really need to bring along our medical community to understand where the baseline evidence is for just medical medical cannabis in general. Um, when it comes to um, medical cannabis and COVID, um, again, starting to really ask patients to understand. Um, I've heard anecdotally from doctors that they're quite interested in studying medical cannabis because when their COVID patients have come back in, after they've consumed cannabis, their, their uh, taste and smell come back. So, you know, some of these things, um, you know, as we hear from healthcare providers, um, those are our frontline workers. And those are the frontline workers that can help us identify the trends that are happening in the research that needs to happen um, and can happen from what they're seeing on the ground. Um, I would also say to the doctor community or, you know, generally the healthcare provider community that cannabis is here and medical cannabis is here. It's, it's really not going anywhere. Um, and it's really important for us to learn how to bridge the gap between, you know, the cannabis industry and the healthcare community because our patients are left at the chasm in the middle. And um, we are in 
not only a COVID uh, pandemic, but we're in an opioid epidemic, we're in a, pharm- a polypharmacy pandemic, um, and we're also seeing quite significant increases in anxiety, PTSD, and depression among all uh, demographics of our population. So, um, and some of those conditions like do have benefits for medical cannabis, but we do need to be cautious, um, such as where the evidence lies now and, and being cautious about cannabis and COVID. So I think it's it's definitely, um, you know, important for us to pay attention to this um, and to understand you know, the fact that, you know, medical cannabis was deemed essential. Um, it is a tool in the toolbox, as Jason said, and, you know, putting the research out there and continuing to educate our clinical community is, I think, of, of utmost importance. Um, I'm really excited to announce we've launched um, a healthcare provider knowledge, attitudes, and practices study related to medical cannabis last month, together with medicinal genomics and, and UMass Dartmouth. Um, the goal is to actually ask healthcare providers of any profession what they know about medical cannabis, what they don't know, uh, what they want to know, and how they want to learn. Um, and so really trying to engage the clinical community in that reality that, um, you know, we need to stop, um, you know, sort of criticizing our healthcare providers for not including it because they've not been educated on it, uh, but really work towards, um, you know, a collaborative opportunity to uh, bring that education to healthcare providers in a way that's comfortable for them and safe for everybody. And at the right uh, efficacious dose with the right clinical recommendations. So um, you can follow that study um, on our website um, and we'll be producing more information about that as well. Excellent, Marianne, that was fantastic. So we're, we're coming to the end of our podcast. So you know, I, I just wanted to ask, Jason, do you have any um, parting shots? You know, how can people get a hold of you if they have, if they have any questions? Sure, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, yeah, ultimately, it's uh, then thanks, Joe, obviously, to CRX magazine for the, the venue to be able to talk about these prospects. And, um, you know, I, I think from from our big picture perspective, certainly uh, cannabis normalization um, with direct impact, obviously, on coronavirus infection is is of the utmost importance to understand and leverage responsibility responsibly. But that just in general, that as, as Dr. McNabb mentioned, that cannabis, either medical or recreational, uh, it's seemingly not going anywhere anytime soon. And so for all of us to continue to approach the subject matter with a respectful eye for uh, what responsibilities are associated with it, uh, but then too, what the, the potential for uh, collective benefit um, in any iteration of cannabis in society, that's, you know, obviously medical research trials, scientific trials, socioeconomic studies um, with respect to community impact alongside normalization of cannabis. And so it's an exciting time, you know, I'd steer anybody towards the, uh, the Cresco Labs website um, to, to get some more information. And, and as Dr. McNabb mentioned, um, certainly um, you know, her, her research initiatives, what they're doing over there on the East Coast are amazing. So certainly check those out as well. Thank you, Jason. Much appreciated. Um, Dr. McNabb, I'm sorry, I've been calling you Marion this entire time, but I think both probably are okay, right? Oh, totally. Call me Marion. Um, and thank you. Thank you for having me on this podcast today. It's an honor. And, and Jason, thanks for the kind words. Um, it's really great to, to work with y'all. And thank you for uh, the support. Um, yeah, so um, the Cannabis Center of Excellence is focused this year, like I said, on raising awareness and engaging the healthcare provider community around medical cannabis. So uh, we've launched this research study. So companies are interested in partnering and supporting this research. We're actively seeking those. You can find out how to participate on our website, www.cannacenterofexcellence.org. Um, as I said, it's a partnership with uh, UMass Dartmouth, un- approved by their Institutional Review Board. 
We have 15 different uh, co-investigators involved from Dr. Gruber at Harvard, Dr. Grinspoon to uh, the National Native American Cannabis Association and the National Association for Clinicians of Color in Cannabis. So um, we're excited about um, the study this year and we'll be presenting the results at some really innovative uh, clinical and scientific conferences this year. Um, so our sponsors will have a great opportunity to participate there. Uh, Medicinal Genomics uh, runs CanMed, which is now in its, I believe, uh, fourth or fifth year, um, and we'll be um, there. Our, our our study partner, um, and we'll be running a workshop at CanMed uh, this year at the end of September, early October. Uh, where we'll review some of the research findings and outline some good uh, continuing medical education and healthcare provider education opportunities for the future. Uh, we've also partnered with Patients at a Time and their National Clinical Conference on Cannabis Therapeutics. So we'll be presenting the results there uh, next spring with uh, Mary Lynn Mathra and others at Patients Out of Time. And then the uh, study final results will be presented in CanMed 2022. So we're hoping to get the word out, uh, engage the clinical community um, around these topics and continue to drive the field forward. Thank you again for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you both. This has been fantastic. A lot of great information, cannabis and COVID, very hot topic, both of them. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, we're going to have additional CRX podcasts um, in the near future. Uh, so stay tuned. This is Joseph Friedman, um, pharmacist with CRX Magazine and the CRX Podcast. We'll see you next time. To find all the episodes from the CRX Podcast, go to crxpodcast.com. To learn more about the latest advancements in medical cannabis, visit crxmag.com. That's crxmag.com. Thanks for listening.